You know, so I've been back from uh, Poland for a couple of weeks now, and you know, uh, next month I get to I get to do an equipping hour to guys give you guys a, you know, kind of a full synopsis of of the trip. I'm amazed at all of the things that that the Lord did, all of the conversations He lined up, all of the ways He answered prayers. It was really amazing. Do you know one thing that I noticed um, that Alan alluded to my first day back is that time can get really kind of squirrely when you travel a long distance, right? And so I, I, we got into this rhythm on the trip where we would play a concert, um, eat dinner at 10 p.m., pack up the stage, go to the hotel, wake up the next morning, pack the truck, and then drive for three or four hours. And it was after doing all of that that I would get to start texting and messaging with people here in Jacksonville and just thinking how much had already taken place in a day where we were. And the other thing about time that really just hit me was being gone for two weeks, coming back, even though you live those days and you use those days to the fullest, you feel like you've missed so much. You know, I just kind of realized that where did the month of May go? You know, it was all spent elsewhere and life was still going on. And it just struck me, you cannot get time back. You must use time in a way that honors the Lord and redeem the time, which is the text that we'll be in today. And so our message today is called The Time of Your Life, and you guys can be turning to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, and the text will be verses 15 through 21. When it comes to the way we use our time, some of these are very necessary, and some of these things may cause us to think about how we use the time in the day. Um, This article that I read, it started out by saying that the average person wastes 624 hours per year. That comes out mathematically to 26 days of just kind of doing nothing, staring at the wall, right? Wasting time. And here's some things that we need to do, but just think about how much time we use doing them. The average person by the age of 75 will spend over 9,000 days sleeping. 9,000 days of your life, time-wise, will be spent in the bed sleeping. 1,300 days will be spent eating. 32,000 hours of your life, praise the Lord, will be spent eating. (laughs) But now here's some things that we may want to consider. Now this may be different for you, and you know, it varies from household to household and generation to generation, but you'll spend nine years of your life or 80,000 hours watching television. 80,000 hours. We'll check our phones on average 58 times per day, which is also about, and we'll use them for about nine years or 80,000 hours, and that number is rising. It's rising year by year and generation by generation. Have you ever had a day where you can't believe how much has taken place? You know, it's funny because I I wrote this sermon mostly on Friday after studying this week and then had this conversation with my daughter, Emma, because we went to jujitsu early in the morning, got up at five, went at six, and then we just, there was so much that happened that day. And by the evening, she said, I can't believe class was 
was the same day. It was, it was this morning. And I'd already written this question to ask you guys, have you ever had a day where you say to yourself, I can't believe what happened this morning was even the same day. I've done so much in this day. And have you ever, you said that to yourself. And so it's amazing to me how much you can get done if you plan and if you want to, right? If you want to um, take care of certain things, how much you can, you can do in a single day. And time is the one resource that can never be recovered. You know, if you lose your money, it's possible to make more money, right? You can change some things, get some new friends, get some new business associates, and maybe make that money back. If you lose an ability, for instance, if you're an athlete who gets injured, you can go through a process and quite possibly get back on the field and pick up where you left off. You can get that back, something that you've lost. But once time is gone, That's it. It is gone forever. This Sunday morning is never going to happen again. This moment will never happen again. This afternoon, however you spend it, you're only going to have a chance to spend it one time. And think about this. Have you ever agonized over something that you said or something that went wrong, thinking, if only I could have that to do over again, right? I can't believe I said that, or I can't believe this happened. Oh, what was I thinking, you know? I wish I could have for coming back. So here we are dropping into Paul's discussion on how to live the Christian life, and he has a lot to say about how we use our time. And so before we read our text, I want to read our text in a nutshell. It says this, we must think carefully about how we live. It is through focusing on Jesus Christ that we learn to live wisely in such a dark world. God enables us to live a life of worship by giving us his spirit to live inside of us. By his grace we sing and we praise him as we live in unity with one another. So let's read our text, which is Ephesians 5, 15 through 21. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we are dropping into Paul's discussion on how to live the Christian life. He says that we're supposed to use our time well and that this is an intentional decision that we make. It's a posture of the heart when you wake up in the morning that I'm going to use this time in a way that honors the Lord. And he wrote this letter, just a little bit of background, he wrote this letter at the same time as he wrote Philippians, Philemon, and Colossians while under house arrest. So we see a lot of overlap in these letters, especially between Ephesians, which we are here today, and Colossians. So Paul planted this church at Ephesus during his second missionary journey, just on the way home. He drops in and he shares the gospel, and this church gets started, and a year later, on his third missionary journey, he stops by again, and this time he stays for three years. So he is there to really invest in this group of believers, and we can see that if you want more background there in Acts chapter 19 verses 1 through 20. You can read all about that time that he spent. After three years, he sends Timothy to oversee the church. You can read about that in 1 Timothy 3. 
And so Ephesians is one of my favorite books to read and to counsel from. I've heard it said before by David Pallison, a great biblical counselor, that you could, if you needed to, you could do all of your counseling from the book of Ephesians because it's all there. Praise the Lord, we have the whole Bible, so we're not going to limit ourselves, but there's so much there. Everything you need for the Christian life is encapsulated and is broken up into two pieces, into two separate parts. Chapters 1 through 3 tell us what to believe. Like, this is who you are in Christ. This is how you were saved. This is what took place. This is who you used to be, what to believe. Chapters 4 through 6 are, in essence, now, what do you do about it? How do you live as a believer? And as chapter 3 ends, he prays that believers would be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit to be filled with the fullness of God. So he's making a transition, and we go to that prayer in chapter 3 very often. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. We go to that prayer, but in context we realize he's making a turn. He has said this is what it means to be a believer, and now he's praying that you would have strength to enact those those final three chapters. He's saying you're going to need all the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of you if you're going to live out this Christian life. So he prays for believers both then in his time and believers now that we would be able to be strengthened with power by the Holy Spirit to follow the Lord himself. And he ends the final uh, verses of chapter 3 before making that switch from what to believe to what to do with this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He says, before you turn the page, you realize two things. You're not going to follow Jesus without doing so under the power and the direction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to do this under your own power. And two, the whole purpose of this entire thing is you glorify the Lord himself. This is not about you. This is about him. And we are the ones who benefit because we get to know him. So let's remember along with Paul that as we are called to the life of worship, we're called to a life of worship, a life of obedience to Christ, and that this life is impossible without God himself working powerfully within us for his glory. And so finally, to give us clear context for our passage today, chapter 5 tells believers to stay awake. Don't be caught sleeping, not to walk in darkness, but to expose darkness and the sins and, and, and to shine the light of Jesus Christ. So here in 5.14, it says this, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. Now, that's not a direct quote from the Old Testament. There's a couple places in Isaiah that may have come from, but most likely Isaiah 60, verse 1, that says this, arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So in order to walk and shine the light of Jesus Christ in a dark world, we've got to wake up. We must be vigilant and diligent. Try saying that a couple times fast. Vigilant and diligent. In the way we live and in the way we use our time. Some of y'all are trying that right now. All right. So we have three points that we're going to work through this morning. The first point will be this, buy up the time. Second will be, be filled with the Spirit. And finally, following Jesus looks like this.
So first, verses 15 and 16, buy up the time. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So he says in light of this call to live as a representative of Christ, in light of this call to stay awake, to shine the light of Jesus Christ in even the darkest places, he says you have got to be careful how you walk, right? And how do we define how you walk? Simply foot Put, simply put, it's how you live. Paul says, look carefully, examine yourself, examine the life that you're living because you are here as a representative, the creator and the sustainer and the redeemer of the universe. This is not a life that's meant to be passive or a life that is reactionary, right? Whatever happens, and I'm going to see that, react, and do something else. This is a life that should be focused on a goal, and that's the glory of the Lord himself. And so you make a plan. When you wake up every morning, this is the life I'm going to live, not unless something else happens, but this is the direction that I'm going. It is a life that's peaceful. It's a life that's well thought out and well considered. He says, look carefully how you live. I want you to think real, real, real hard about something for a minute. Think about how carefully you consider, or many of us consider maybe our budget, right? How we pour over the numbers and make sure everything's being used correctly. Good. It's a good thing to do. Or our diets, our nutrition, how carefully. Or our travel plans, right? I hear some, some of our friends here at the church joke about when there's, a, when there's a trip coming, I've got to know exactly where I'm going to be every moment of every day. How carefully we plan these things, our finances, our diets, our trips. But how easy it us to even kind of wing it when it's living the Christian life. Can't we do that um, in, in our walk with Jesus? Imagine if you just kind of wing it with your budget, right? It'll all work out. Don't ask me how I know that doesn't go well. <laughs> um, imagine you just kind of wing it in whatever you put in your body. Or imagine just kind of wing it. I'm going to go to this country and do whatever, right? But we do that with our walk. We kind of wake up and we bumble through our days and we say, I'll get to the scripture at some point. Studies have shown that doesn't happen if you don't have a plan. And so we've got to be intentional. So do we look as carefully at what we think about? Do you, do you look as carefully about what you dwell on in your heart or what you tell yourself or how you talk to people? or what you use to entertain yourself, do you, do you consider that as carefully? Verse 15b says to do so not as unwise, but as wise. And we covered this a lot deeper when we were in James last summer. But the life of wisdom is a life that puts Jesus Christ first. There's a lot of ways to define wisdom, right? But the fear of the Lord realizing who is the ultimate authority, realizing who is the one that actually has say in the way your life goes. That's fear, right? What do I fear the most? Who do I ascribe the most power to in my life? It's Jesus Christ. You want to live a life of wisdom, put Jesus first. He says, so look carefully how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the wisdom. So as we watch how we live, we must look to live wisely. We must look to live in a way that honors the Lord first, that thinks about him First, to be a worshiper of him in every situation of your life. Saturday morning, at home with the kids, that is to be an act of worship. It's not just killing time until the next thing happens. It's an act of worship. If you're single, you go on a date, that time, it's an act of worship. And everything that that means, right? Everything, the guidance that you receive from the Holy Spirit through his word, it's an act of worship. Everything you do in your life is an act 
is to be an act of worship to the Lord. How you do your job, how you take care of your stuff, your home, your car, how you treat your employees, how you coach Little League, these should all be an act of worship before the Lord, not to walk as unwise, but as wise. This means these things are done in such a way as to bring glory to the Lord and to point away from ourselves and only to him. Verse 16 goes on to say, making the best use of the time, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Now, depending on your translation, this could be said in a number of ways. So ESV uh, will say making the best use of the time. I've also seen it as redeeming the time. I've also seen it as buying up the time. And I think that's a really helpful one because it's intentional and it, 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 it says that you are ready and it says that there is a plan. I want to think about people, like if you're really good with stocks or with real estate, right? Let's say you're really trained and experienced to know a great opportunity when you see it, and you are prepared to seize that opportunity when it comes up, right? And that's the same way that we are being told by Paul in our lives that we are experienced in our walk with Jesus Christ. When we have a conversation with someone, we can see the cues that there is something that they need. They need to be prayed for right now. They need encouragement. They need some kind of physical or tangible help. We're prepared in that way because we're walking with the Lord and because we've done this before. And at the same time, because of this life of wisdom, not walking as unwise, but as wise, because of this life of wisdom, we're also prepared to meet that need, to help with that, right? Whether it's to pray for that person, whether it's to help to counsel the person through something difficult or disciple them, or whether it's to provide something for them physically because this is the life life that I live. It's a wise life that I'm designed to live. This is how I'm going to use my time wisely. So you're buying up the time. You think of someone that says, there's the opportunity. Someone else is going to jump on it if I don't. So there it is. That's the mindset we should have in the Christian life as you walk through your day. That's why I said Saturday morning with the kids is not just biding time until the next planned thing happens. Look for the opportunities even there the conversation. What is it that they're saying to you? What is it they really want when they talk to you? These are the things we must consider. That's buying up the time, right? That's redeeming the time. That's making the best use of the time, not wasting 624 hours a year, right? So it says to make the best use of the time. And I want you to realize there are good things that you can do. But then there are also best things. And in using our time, in using our days wisely, I've heard it said that sometimes it's important to put aside something that may be a good thing, a good way to use time, in order to put all of your attention and all of your heart into the things that are best. And how to prioritize that in your life? You're going to have to bury your head in Scripture and get with people that you trust who love Jesus to walk through, okay, am I using my time for the glory of the Lord and the best way for my own walk, the best way for my marriage, the best way for my kids? Because again, there may be all kinds of great ways you can use your time, but is the best way? Is it the best way? You've got to consider these things for the glory of the Lord. So make the best use of the time. Redeem it. Buy it up like a shrewd banker and don't waste it. Why? Verse 16, the second half of verse 16 says, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. I want you to consider this. Passivity in your life will leave a massive vacuum for for anything else to come on in. And the world is very happy to fill that vacuum. If you've not planned your time in the world, 
in the word, uh, I guarantee you, you will find other good ways to use that time. When you wake up in the morning and you have a million things on your to-do list, if you've not planned, you know what, at this time of the day, either before, before I leave the house or at lunchtime or my daily commute, I'm going to listen to an audio Bible or right before I go to bed. If you've not planned it out, how many times have you found yourself at the end of the day saying, Lord, I've kicked my time with you down the road again and again and again. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I promise, I'm going to open up my Bible and read it. It's so easy for that to happen, right? The days are evil. There are so many ways, other ways to spend our time. So we've got to be intentional to walk with the Lord. Sometimes we have to just turn everything off in the house in order to have some kind of Bible or scripture time with the family, right? Outside of Christ, we have blinded eyes and our hearts, and they're numb to the things of God. And your days are not neutral. So you can't just kind of let the day blow you in any direction. There's no such thing as spiritual neutrality. Without intentional living or walking as one who is wise and not unwise, our bent is to drift towards whatever is easiest, the path of least resistance, whatever everyone else is doing, whatever everyone else is up to, which is why we must be intentional to redeem the time because the days are evil. So the first point was buy up the time. The second point is this, be filled with the Spirit. Verses 17 and 18. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And since, he says in verse 17, since the days are evil, don't be foolish, right? So he said wisdom, walking as wise, was to live with Christ being first in your life. So to be foolish... It's going to put yourself first. It's going to put the opinions of others first. Don't be unwise. I mean, don't be foolish. Don't put yourself, your reputation, right? Useless pursuits that aren't getting anything done for the kingdom. Don't put them first in your life. Don't be foolish. But, verse 17, the second half says, understand what the will of the Lord is. So if we want to live a life of wisdom that honors Jesus, we're going to have to have some kind of idea of what God's will for our life is. Now when I say that, certain things come to mind for you and always have for me. It's funny, but I feel like in American Christianity, when we say, what is God's will for my life? It's what job am I going to have? Right? It almost like synonymous. Just use those interchangeably. And everyone just wants to be hit over the head with, this is what you're going to do. Here's your career path. Here's the college you're going to go to. This is who you're going to marry. And this is going to be your job. God's will for your life can be much more specific than that. And we already know it, truth be told. I want you to look at a couple of things. So, so we, 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 we want to walk by faith and not by sight. But we say, as soon as God gives me some marching orders, as soon as he gives me a little glimpse, a little sight, then I'll walk by faith and not by sight. We want him to just give us this 20-year plan and he's never once promised that to us. The times we use as kind of like prescriptive to kind of get that as as a burning bush, right? We're not going to get a burning bush. That's a very special situation, right? The Lord spoke with Abraham in the Ur of the Chaldees and calls him to something very major. He's not going to do the same thing to tell you to be a plumber. He's not going to do that. You follow the things that he's given you the gifting to do, things that you enjoy doing, things that you can honor Jesus in doing and support your family with and do that and stop sitting around under a tree waiting to be hit over the head with what to do with their life and actually do what he's already told you. What has he already told you? I'm glad you asked. All right, so let's look here. 
I'll just read off my slide. I can't find it on my sheet here. He tells us in Scripture, these are all directly out of Scripture, to honor Jesus, to flee sexual immorality, to be sanctified, to become more like Jesus, right? To be generous, to put Jesus first and other people before yourself, to live a life of worship, to share the gospel with people, to make disciples. Are we, are we as obsessed with that will of God in our life as we are with whatever that's going to pay the bills? But we say we want to do God's will, but that's what we're really thinking about. These are the things that need to guide us, right? This is how the Lord guides us through his Holy Spirit in our lives. When we say, what do I do in this moment? At this time, the Lord is far less concerned with what company you work for than the fact that you live this life that honors him, that you are generous, that you put others before yourselves, that you live a life of love and putting yourself, putting yourself last and the Lord first. And this is how we are guided in the little mundane everyday tasks, right? So, so, so he's much more concerned with, with the, the mundane moments than with the big life-changing ones. And I will say that as you are following him and seeking to live these things out in your life, the big picture will start to unfold. A lot of times you can see God's hand very active in your life in the rearview mirror. Right, You can see, oh my goodness, I can't believe the way he was leading me. But it's not necessarily that you knew every step you take, okay, this is the thing I'm supposed to do. Right? In this moment, I'm supposed to love my neighbor. In this moment, I'm supposed to share the joy of Jesus Christ with somebody. In this moment, I'm supposed to put someone before myself. In this moment, I should love my wife as Christ loved the church. In this moment, in this moment, fill in the scripture here. And after years of that, you look back and say, he was leading me the whole time. One tiny step at a time. The Lord himself was leading me. So don't be foolish. Don't be unwise. Be wise and understand God's will. It's simple as this. Obey him. Worship him. Love him. Live for him. It's not complicated, right? So let's move on. Verse 18. It says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. It's simple. I'm not going to camp out here. Don't get drunk, right? You can't walk as one who is wise. You can't understand what the will of the Lord is if you have gotten drunk. Okay, so, but I think there's so much more in those few words, don't get drunk with wine, wherein is what? Debauchery. We have to think of what that word means. So it's not the only danger that's being discussed here, right? This wastefulness, this wastefulness of resources, um, the pursuit of unfettered pleasure, rest, ease in order to bring peace to your heart outside of the peace that the Lord can give you because he's giving you the opposite. He's not just saying don't get drunk. He's not just saying don't waste the resources and don't be debaucherous. He's saying be filled with the Spirit. He said there's something you're looking for. There's something you're trying to get here, but you're doing it the wrong way. This is not the way to achieve that peace. This is not the way to achieve that rest that you're looking for. This is not the way to get rid of the problems that are in your head. This is the way to walk in the Spirit. I think you can safely read here that we should also make, we shouldn't make ourselves sick with food to ease our anxiety, right? That's debauchery. Or to run to adult websites when we get angry. That's debauchery. Or post something on social media and spend the rest of the day watching for notifications, seeing who likes and shares, right? Or to text somebody and try to start some juicy gossip, some tea, if you will, right? These things, these are debauchery. They are a waste. And I think we can imply we can't do any of those things. This is not the way to follow Jesus. All of these things are wasteful. 
Just like drunkenness is wasteful. They waste our time. They waste our effectiveness. They waste our health. It's all debauchery. Paul says this is not the way to get peace and be satisfied. I think that this can also be the result of legalistic living. If we are not living in the way that he's about to say, to live by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, we try to live the Christian life under our own power, and we try really hard to not do these things and to make sure to do these things, and now I'm a good Christian. At the end of the day, you say, now I need some me time because that was exhausting, right? So maybe I'm just going to run to the fridge and just gorge myself on this. Maybe I'm going to spend a little time on that website, even though I know I'm not supposed to, but come on already. I'm stressed out. Or maybe I'll get drunk because that will help. That's not walking in the Spirit. That's not the Christian life. Walking in the Spirit leaves you refreshed and joyful. Worship is the best possible thing for you. It's the best possible thing for me. If it leaves you exhausted, it's not Christianity, right? The Lord Jesus Christ is refreshing. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Rivers of living water will pour forth from your heart. That doesn't sound like I'm so tired from Christianity, I need a beer. That sounds like something completely else, right? So be not drunk with wine. Where does excess? But... Be filled with the Spirit. He says, so there's a better way. So so here's the answer. It's not don't do this thing. It's you're looking in the wrong place. Be filled with the Spirit. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Guys, can do you understand this that God lives inside of you? Like, is that something you can wholeheartedly say, yes, that's that's a thing. That's me. He lives inside of me. Do you see how many Christians walk around with their shoulders hung low and their head held low and just kind of like the drudgery of every day? Shouldn't there be something different about the fact that God himself lives inside of us? Shouldn't there be a noticeable difference between you and a person where God is not residing? He lives inside of you. He says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Once you are saved, once you repent of your sin and you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit seals you for that day of redemption and he's there forever and he'll never go away. That's not always been true before the cross, before the resurrection. The Holy Spirit in the Old Testament would come on people to fulfill a specific task, whether it was to be an artisan in the temple or in the tabernacle or whether it was to do some great act of military might or to do some great act of royal leadership. David even prays in Psalm 51, don't take your Holy Spirit from me like I know you could if you wanted to. Now that's not ever going to be the case. He lives inside of you. He lives inside of me. If you are in Christ, he will never go away. But there is a special filling. There's a special filling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit that he says we're supposed to pray for. And I want to take you to some scriptures here that that show you just that. Luke 11, 13. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, watch this, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Ephesians 3, 14 and 19. I referenced this earlier during the introduction. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Watch this, that you may be filled with the fullness 
of God. This is a state of closeness with the Lord that we should be pursuing and more importantly, praying for. You know the feeling of when you're not walking with the Lord, right? You know when you're in the flesh, when you're responding to people in a way that has nothing to do with the fact that you love Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit still is indwelt. He's still in you. He's not going anywhere, but you're not full of the Spirit. That's a very different thing, right? There's something that comes. There's, have you ever found yourself in a tough situation and afterwards go, I don't know where that response came from, but praise the Lord. Like I normally, old me would have read that person the riot act, and I don't know how I was able to give a loving response. That's because you're full of the Spirit, right? That is a fruit. That's peacefulness, right? Gentleness, self-control. These are those fruits that we're supposed to bear in our lives because we're walking with, this Lord, with the Lord. As believers, can we even begin to understand what living with the Lord inside of us means? That we can ask for and be filled with the Spirit. Deep inside, I, I, I think we can tend to believe that we all affirm that our salvation is by grace through faith, yes, and nothing that I've done, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, but now I've got to work really, really hard to earn this thing. It's the grace of God still the fact that you remain a Christian, the fact that you ever succeed, the fact that you ever do something worshipful with right intentions is all empowered by the Holy Spirit. Right? It's, a, it's a famous theologian who said, if I could lose my salvation, I would. Right? Because I didn't get to walk with the Lord comes from the Lord himself, from pursuing this closeness with him through the indwelling Holy Spirit. He points us to Jesus, helps us to understand his word. He strengthens us to withstand temptation. He brings scripture to our remembrance. He tells us what to say in difficult times. He convicts us of sin. He assures us of our unity with the Father in Christ. He is for us and not against us. And I almost wonder if we shy away from trying to walk intimately with the Lord because we know that he knows our hearts. It's almost like I have no right to even ask this of him. And I'm just trying to be real, folks. So it's almost like I know he lives inside of me, but we'll coexist while I try really hard to live the Christian life because I don't deserve whatever these scriptures are talking about. Yeah, you're right, you don't, and neither do I. But Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again, and now that's what you get. And that's why we worship. That's why we worship. So we must pray that the Father would indeed fill us with the Spirit. Ephesians 1, 16 through 18 says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Have the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then Ephesians 3.19 says this, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Church, what would our lives look like if we were pursuing a life that is just filled with the Spirit of God in each one of us? Don't you understand that the pursuit of that end, just that pursuit would energize us as believers in our devotional time, in putting sin to death, in serving others? 
You know when there's an opportunity to share Christ with somebody, but you know you've been dwelling on ridiculous things in your heart all day, and you think, I'm not even going to bother. I have no right. I haven't been acting like a Christian today. That's what this is talking about. You've been walking as unwise, not as wise. You've been walking as foolish and not understanding what the will of the Lord is. So don't go pursuing other things to get you in the right place, in the right frame of mind. Be filled with the Spirit. Pursue Him intentionally, on purpose. Jesus literally said he was going away, and it was better that he do so because he would send the helper. What could that possibly mean if, it's not, if the Lord's not supposed to make, through the Holy Spirit, a massive change in our everyday life? Because he was standing right there. Jesus Christ was standing right there. That sounds amazing. I couldn't imagine what that would be like, telling you exactly what he wants you to know affirming the things that go right, telling you lovingly, speaking the truth in love when you blow it. Wouldn't that be great? But he says, you know what? You guys have had that for three years, but it's better for you. I'm leaving because I'm going to send the helper. No longer will I be walking beside of you. I'm going to live inside of you. God's not going to just be dwelling among you. He's going to be dwelling in you. So pray that you would be filled with the Spirit. Even now, as I'm preaching, pray that the Lord would fill you with His Spirit. Ask Him to guide you, to understand His Word, to love others well, to ask Him to help you with the struggles you are facing. What a waste and what debauchery to pursue empty, temporary things to get momentary pleasure and peace when we could be filled with the Spirit. And my final point, I don't really have time for, but there's such beautiful things that need to be said here. Let me just read it to you and say a couple of words before we transition into our time of communion. It says in verses 19 through 21, so following Jesus looks like this. If you are filled with the Spirit, verse 19, you'll be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. You'll be giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. These are all things. So this is not things that you do in order to be filled with the Spirit, although... You will notice if you are in the word, if you are singing Christ's exalting songs, if you are submitting to other believers, if you are living the Christian life, you do feel pretty strengthened spiritually, don't you? It's a synergistic thing, but it starts with him. It starts with that filling of the spirit. This is why students, when we come back from camp, God willing, when you come back, you always say on the way home, why do I feel so close to the Lord right now? You've been singing Jesus songs and talking about Jesus and encouraging one another and talking through hard things and praying with people for a week. What do you expect? right? You've been, and now you're filled with the Spirit. Praise the Lord. You go to a men's retreat, a ladies' retreat, a Bible study, a small group, church. So many times you walk in on a Sunday morning and you feel so beaten down by the week and you leave just like, you know what? I can do this again. You know, I can handle Monday again because I love these folks and more importantly, I love Jesus, right? So these are the things that are being described as the Christian life when you are filled with the Spirit. Time in the Word, time with believers, being thankful, serving others. But let me say this before we begin our time of communion. If you are not in Christ, if you've never come to a point where you've repented of your sin and become a follower of Jesus Christ, this isn't true of you. The power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit himself, he doesn't live inside of you. He's not indwelling you. You won't be filled with that fullness. You need to understand that every single one of us was born with a sin nature. 
We were born with a sinful heart, bent towards ourselves and whatever's best for us. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Because of that sinfulness in our hearts, we've separated in a way that we could never repair. And we deserve an eternity apart from him in a very real place called hell. And that's only fair because we've sinned against him. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, right? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who came. He lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. He died a death on the cross that you and I rightfully deserve to die. He rose again, conquering sin and death and the grave. And he says, repent of your sin and follow me. I will give you a new heart. I will turn that heart of stone into a heart of flesh. I will give you eternal life. You'll get to live in oneness with Jesus Christ, both here in this world and for eternity. Let that be today for you. And if you'd like to talk with someone after the service, please don't hesitate. Any of the folks you see coming now to serve communion, myself included, we would love to talk with you about what it means to follow Jesus. So let's pray, and then we will move into our time of the Lord's Supper. And so, Lord, we thank you for the gift, which is your word, Lord, inspired and superintended by the same Holy Spirit that lives inside of us, that illuminates your word, that helps us to understand it, that brings it to our remembrance that we may serve you and glorify you, Lord. Now I pray as we remember the great sacrifice and victory of Jesus Christ through the cross, that you would help us to just reaffirm our utter and soul dependence on the work of Jesus Christ. Christ for our salvation. As we look across the room and see our brothers and sisters in Christ also partaking in this, let it be an encouragement and let it be an act of worship that would see your word proclaimed physically, Lord, uh, to taste the bread and the juice, Lord, and to consider what has been done on our behalf. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.